0: Tech tack. Stuff 2020. Election. Podcast.
1: You know, Adam, Winston Peters has a robustious relationship with the media, doesn't he? But deep down, I think he really loves us. Really? Based on what? Well, take this for example. Our staff colleague Ryan Anderson was in the press pack waiting for Peters to comment on the serious fraud office charges the other night when this happened. That cord fell out. I want you to get this. What did he say? He says, hey, the cord fell out, I want you to get this. Yeah, Ryan had a cord from his stills camera which had fallen out, and eagle-eyed Winston alerted him to it. Very helpful.
2: It makes change from him accusing journalists of being incompetent, or liars, or fake news, I guess. But is this really evidence of love, Eugene, or is it more like keeping your friends close and your enemies closer, or... I don't know, the latest instalment in a dysfunctional,
1: codependent romance. Hard to say. Maybe he's just thinking about his future. Who knows, he might be looking for a career change after October 17. Camera assistant, perhaps? Nō no mai. Haere Mike. Tik Tick Tick Stuff's
2: 2020 election podcast. Mo te rāpare, tūatahi o
1: wherenga ānuku. Ko Adam Daring, tēnei. Ko Ijen Bingham, tēnei. Tēnā koutou Kato. We bring you the news, some of the more unusual things about this election, and then we slow things down to focus on one particular korero. There are
2: 16 days until the election. So round two of the leader debates was last night, with Patrick Gower hosting the News Hub showdown between Judith Collins and Jacinda Ardern. Already looking forward to the Press Stuff debate next Tuesday evening, of course. But we're going to take a look back at what we learned last night, catching up with our colleague Andrea
1: Vance. Yeah I can't quite believe that voting is already underway for Kiwis overseas as well as for those who use telephone dictation for instance people who are blind and partially blind or have a physical disability that means they can't tick the ballot themselves and then old school advanced voting where you go along and head to a polling station early that begins on Saturday don't forget to vote people. Yeah, things are
2: finally picking up. Policies are being rolled out and the cut and thrust is getting a bit more spicy. One of the sore points for National, of course, has been the whole fiscal hole mistake. We've caught up with the person in the middle of all that, National's finance spokesperson Paul Goldsmith. He talks about the moment he found out about the mistake, how he's dealt with the pressure and why he got into politics in the first place. That's later on. But first
1: Eugene, what's been happening? So, fallout from the charges laid by the Serious Fraud Office in connection with the New Zealand First Foundation keeps raining down. Winston Peters, the leader of New Zealand First, the party, not the foundation... Because they're, of course, totally different. ...went on the attack in a round of morning media appearances. He's saying the party, which he says has been exonerated, has been singled out. How does that work, Eugene? And he points out that other investigations into Labour, for
2: instance, are continuing. As election day nears, minds naturally turn to what combinations of parties could form the next government. There's Labour and the Greens, with National questioning how much of the Greens' tax policy would end up in any coalition agreement. National leader Judith Collins faced questions yesterday about which of ACT's policies she could consider in any deal. While trying to avoid getting drawn into negotiations by media, Collins did rule out ACT's desire for severe benefit cuts. And finally, debate time. Yeah, Trump versus Biden. What a match. Biden's out of his bunker at last. Trump's
1: out of his mind, as usual. Steady on, Adam. We're going to stay local, OK? As we said at the top of the show, it was the News Hub debate last night, round two of the Ardern Collins leader debates. So let's catch up with our colleague, Andrea Vance. Kia ora,
3: Andrea. Hello. Good evening. You got me way past my bedtime now.
1: <laughs> well, wow, it was worth staying up for, wasn't it? What did you think of it?
3: <laughs> it really was. It was a lot of fun. I enjoy. I enjoyed it. I. I did think, you know, like ninety minutes. I was like, oh, do I really want to watch this? Especially after last week's was very dry. Mm. Um, but I was. I find it totally absorbing. I was wrapped up into it, and then at the like. I really enjoyed the quick fire round at the end. I I thought we really saw glimpses of their personalities tonight yeah, and yeah. they were they both brought their A game. Um, and, you know, but there definitely was a clear winner on the night. Absolutely. And that was Patrick Gower. He was so good. <laughs> like,
2: yeah,
3: c- the questions were excellent. The research was great. He didn't give either of them any space to not answer questions. I think the questions that he asked really drew out their personalities. You know, he start- started with really good questions like Meet Free Monday. What? The-? Yeah. <laughs> but
1: yeah.
3: that is that is the genius of Paddy Gower. That's you know? right. It was, That's classic Patty, isn't it? it It was great, great TV. And the production values, fantastic, brilliant lighting. They both look fantastic. Um, you know the way that they were positioned, the camera work was excellent. The only thing really that was a bit odd was the audience. Like the audience yeah. clearly were not swing or undecided voters. And there, was there was definitely a heavy bias towards L- little the bit of a
1: bias. A, yeah. yeah, yeah, but it did. It just felt far more energetic and enlightening. Didn't you? You, you saw clear differences between them. Judith Collins saying That's she would trash right. the gun register and things, saying she was going to go after companies like the warehouse and would insist on the end to the rent right to silence. You know there was there was a clear. difference between the two of them about how to tackle crime and there was far more interplay and, and and much more personality from them wasn't there
3: definitely i mean god it was the debate that we all needed in this this internable campaign <laughs> that's dragged on forever and has been just really really boring now. Yeah. so yeah there was a lot of pizzazz a lot of showbiz it was fun and as you say it really it was a clash and contest of ideas yeah we saw the personalities but also we saw a lot of their similarities as well so there was a lot of especially towards the end in the quick fire round like they you know yeah. it was almost like you know wait, which which party are you guys in that's right it was
1: like watching a penalty shootout where both sides are scoring. So Adam, what what did you think, Adam? Well,
2: I I had a lot of good feedback about my 32nd condensed version of the first leaders debate. When you say a lot, really? At least three people, not all of whom are related to me, liked a tweet which said that it was good. Anyway, the thing is, it means that you don't have to watch the whole thing and some people were grateful for that. So by popular demand, here is my impression of the second leaders debate of the 2020 general election. Here we go. I'm Patty Gower. It's Christmas Eve. Border Protection Agency, Miss Ardern. If I can answer the question, Judith, if I may, $4 billion, that's not true. $4 billion, that's not true. Manners, science, and evidence, 36%, 48%, $145,000. Wage subsidies, sugar hit. Deep breath, Judith. After the break, Dr. Shane Retty. I want the public to decide. As a Christian, I believe in miracles. I think there are some racist people in New Zealand. I'm a feminist and a Christian. Welcome to my world. I'm not a communist. I want the public to decide. Dr. Shane Ritti. What's your plan? What for, dear? It's the Comancheros versus the Mongols out here. After the break. Have you smoked weed? Can you speak Maori? Do you eat meat? Is the health system racist? And what about gender neutral lose? If I can answer the question. Yeah, that's
1: basically about it in a nutshell, but... Um...
3: <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> Andrew... I felt like I was reliving it there.
1: <laughs> Flashbacks. Andrew what did, what did you think of Judith Collins in particular? I mean many people sort of picked her as the winner on points last week. How how did you think she went this week?
3: I did I thought she, I thought she was great. I mean she if she had an espresso last week she had a double espresso with a whiskey on the side for this one. <laughs> she was really on fire. I you know I thought that she probably had the edge in this debate again. It's very much her platform. Um she started off on fire. She had a lot of zingers, but they weren't practiced. They weren't forced. Like, they were very natural. That um, that excellent, you know, quip about the deep breath on cannabis. And yeah. um, I absolutely loved the comment about Phil Twyford. You know, being an yes. asset and a liability. It was very funny. I mean, there's probably too many zingers to mention. I actually thought that the questions favoured her. I'm not. I'm not arguing there was any bias in them, but there was a lot of ground that she would naturally feel very comfortable in, particularly in the law and order space. Um and she handled them really well. I mean, Jacinda Ardern was great, and you know, she she clearly had a coffee before she came in as well. She was much better than last week, but her answers were too cautious and too careful. But yeah. my overall impression was that Jacinda Ardern came out of that debate looking like a prime minister. Judith Collins came out still looking like opposition leader. I don't think that debate will have convinced anyone that Judith Collins will make a better prime minister than Jacinda Ardern. So again, like last week probably no votes or not too many votes shifting yeah. from that
1: debate. It was certainly, I mean there was moments there where she was really trying, Judith Collins was really trying wasn't she? she got emotional about her brother-in-law um, she brought up racism in the family. <laughs> she was really trying to show much more of herself wasn't she and, um, and, and the I, double mention of her Christianity as well which I haven't
2: heard her hammer absolutely. before so much.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean sometimes it felt like she was saying things just because she sort of got pushed along into it, she didn't necessarily mean them. Um, it was nice to see her admit she wanted to be on the cover of Vogue That got a good got a good laugh
3: but- <laughs> Yeah, that was lovely I wasn't sure about the mention of her brother-in-law She was clearly yeah. upset She looked like she was close to tears mm. But if you like Judith Collins, you'll feel moved by it If you don't like her, you will feel that that was um, probably quite cynical I hate to say it Also, she delivered another huge clangor on Trump, defending Trump. Yes. That was the, that was one of the weird oh. moments. Yeah, in the, that was a weird moment. Yeah. It was. But equally, uh, Jacinda Ardern defending the $12 million for the, the Green private school when the Greens have already apologised for it. That made, me, that made me sit up and go, what? Yeah, um,
1: yeah. And, and she oh, sort of backed herself into some strange position, didn't she, like over the Green school? That, that, that whole thing about not ha- saying how she'd vote in the cannabis referendum. I, d- I just don't yeah. get it. It's a strange position. That's...
3: That is bizarre. The one I thought very disappointing area for her was, um, you know, much of the topics were favoured Judith Collins and she was on very comfortable ground, as I've already said. But when they moved on to health, well, that is the one area where Justin Jones should have been very comfortable in that space, given especially that nationals, Fiscal plan looks like it's going to freeze operational spending for health. She was on firm ground there, and she her answer on that was so weak. Like, give me another term. What she should have said is that we've got this massive health report that we commissioned and was delivered mm. just after lockdown and we've yeah. already said that we're going to implement these recommendations we're going to transform the health system instead she's like give me another term i was really weak and i thought she lost that opportunity
1: mm. but she said as you said she certainly had much more energy like definitely much more pushing back on on uh, judith collins and those little mm. lines little man is on stage deep breath judith what's your plan um <laughs> yeah. uh, and and there was that there was that crack about how she'd faced calls over COVID from a few opposition leaders, which I thought was quite a, a slide <laughs> take. Yeah. yeah but, um- I
3: thought um you know, Jacinda def- used and defended her record on COVID very well. Yes. I didn't think either of them won any points on COVID. Though I was quite disappointed that neither of them had a plan B. You know, if there is no vaccine, neither of them can answer that question. I'm sure they both must have considered it at some point. Um, but I thought it was interesting that Judith didn't lose any points on that. You know, it's like she's got going up against Jacinda Ardern, who arguably has the best record in the world on COVID Mm. and she didn't make any mistakes. Likewise, she didn't really make any mistakes the whole way through the debate. She was very well researched. She knew her numbers. She had lots of zingers. You know, she was, she was, Judith was pretty good.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, in in keeping with the style of the debate, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Andrea Vance, what was your favourite moment? (laughs)
2: <laughs> My favourite moment. Ooh. Yes or no? Yes or no? No, no, no. Shilly shallying. <laughs> it's
1: Christmas. It's Christmas.
2: Okay,
3: Patty, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> um, I did. like. I said. I really enjoyed that. Full um, twy Is an asset or liability quip. But I think possibly when Judith said, on what dear? You know that yes. moment where they were talking about climate change and she just turned around and, and it was a combination of, of a great line but also great camera work as well because they had the divide and so you could see both their faces. So that was probably, that was a laugh out loud minute from, yeah. moment for me.
1: Yeah, there was certainly a lot of them. Andrea Vance, thank you so much for joining us.
3: My pleasure.
1: So
2: on with the show national's finance spokesperson paul goldsmith was a cabinet minister in the previous national administration but he didn't exactly have a high profile and prior to that he was known as the author of several biographies and histories including ones of john banks and don brash but beyond that a lot of people wouldn't have known much about him come the 2020 election however and his name recognition has shot through the roof but not always for the reasons he had hoped for one of his big jobs has been to present national's economic plan but instead he's got bogged down defending some blunders in the numbers. And we'll come to those. But first, we want to know a bit more about Paul Goldsmith. What's his background, what makes him tick, and how has he coped with the pressure he's faced in the past couple of weeks?
1: Hi, Paul. G'day. Hey. So, it's fair to say it's been a pretty tough, bruising campaign so far for you. How have you coped with the pressure?
0: Well, uh... Uh, Politics is always uh, a uh, dynamic and um, a uh, high-pressure career. Uh, And I've certainly learned over the last week that I can uh, absorb a large amount of pressure and keep going. And uh, it's all about having a desire to uh, get our message across and fight for a campaign. And, uh, yep, it's been pretty gruelling, but I have enjoyed it, and I'm really looking forward to the next couple of weeks.
1: Let's imagine that it's October 18, you've woken up, National was triumphed with with Act or something. You're getting ready to fly to Wellington to move into the beehive again. What's the first thing you want to push go on?
0: I think it would be uh, putting together our initial plan to get the economy going uh, again. And one of the first things we want to do is introduce a short-term uh, stimulus to the economy. Uh, We learnt uh, a couple of weeks ago in the pre-election update that the uh, recession is going to be longer and deeper than we originally thought, a couple of years of high employment. And so we think uh, that we need extra stimulus in the economy. And the way that we're going to do it, I mean, there's different ways to do it. You can have all all sorts of shovel-ready projects um, organised by Phil Twyford and other people. Uh, We think the fastest way is to get some tax back in the hands of New Zealanders. So that would be from the 1st of December. So we'd have to move very smartly uh, to get that in place.
2: Now, we're going to rewind a little bit here. You grew up in Mount Roskill. You played the piano. You're a black belt in taekwondo. What else do we need to know about your upbringing to understand what makes you tick?
0: Well, um, yeah, well, I'm an Aucklander, uh, born and bred. Yeah, grew up in Mount Roskill in, uh, you know, Typical kind of Auckland suburb, uh, lots of state houses, went to Waka Primary, which is a very typical New Zealand school, my- parents were uh, my dad was a maths teacher and uh, my mother was a nurse uh, working night shifts uh, and she would sleep during the day and look after us I was the youngest of three kids we were uh, you know a typical Kiwi family and I, I uh, was lucky in the sense that I was raised by uh, two parents who loved me greatly in a safe and secure home and that's the most precious thing that anybody can have uh, growing up.
2: Right uh, which way did your parents vote by the way do you know?
0: My mother came from um, Waikato dairying stock, uh, so she was true blue. Uh, Dad, being a teacher, was um, uh, not quite as true, but uh, generally blue uh, is how right. I would describe it. Uh, the first election that I remember uh, being conscious of was the 1984 election when Muldoon was voted out. It was a filthy, raining day, horrible day, and uh, um, when National lost, I, I was 13 years old and I thought that the end of the world was nigh. As it turned out, it wasn't. But anyway, there you go.
2: (laughs) So your dad was presumably pretty good at maths. Um, Can you remember, what was your mark in School C maths? Uh,
0: No, I can't remember uh, that. But I wasn't bad at maths. Very good at maths, thank you very much. I've had plenty of jokes about that on the hustings uh, since.
2: We couldn't not ask. Sorry about that. So you started your working life as a historian for the Waitangi Tribunal. Your work as a writer often had you delving into history. So... What are the history books of the future going to say about COVID-19 and how it was handled by the Labour-led coalition?
0: Yeah, well, the first draft is history is always uh, um, uh, being written as we speak. And look... Look, I think 2020 is going to be uh, go down as a tough year for a lot of people. Of course, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs and their uh, livelihoods. And fortunately in New Zealand, uh, you know, relatively few have lost their lives, but some have. But what we have seen is a colossal buildup of debt. And uh it remains to be seen. I I suppose the, the the thing that we're all trying to work out is how quickly we can get back on our feet again as, as an economy and and you know, get back on a path to prosperity and to be able to do the things that we wanna do. So that that I think is the real question. That this has come out of the blue, it's a shock. The thing that is, you know, making everybody unclear and uncertain at the moment is how long is it gonna take to get back on track and who will know? Nobody knows. We're uh, just watching the TVs at the moment. You can't control what's going on internationally. All you can control is what's happening here. Uh, obviously, our pitch in the next couple of weeks will be that with our mix of things, we'll get back on our feet faster. And, yeah, you know, people can go back and no doubt there'll be a Royal Commission that'll go through uh, the detail of, you know, the, the nature of the lockdown and what we knew when and where. But that, that now's not really the time for that. Now's the focus on, you know, the future. How do we get back on track?
2: with history, you've been quoted as saying the history of New Zealand has too often been written from a left-wing perspective. You know, Michael King's Penguin History is a, is a case in point. But does it make sense to call history left-wing or, or right-wing? I mean, sh- shouldn't it really be all about the facts?
0: What well, uh, um, facts are always disputed. Uh, facts are always contested. Um, that's the nature of history. There is no single view of history, uh, and uh, I remember my uh, lecturers at Auckland University. I, I went through history department there. They were great great historians. I think it was uh, Keith Sorensen sort of said, you know, so-and-so, he went off and uh, did his PhD at Oxford and turned left at Oxford, and that that was the tradition. And if you look at New Zealand history, it tends to be written sort of focusing on the wonderful things that the state has done over the decades, and the rise of the welfare state and all the wonderful things that uh, governments have done, particularly Labour governments have done. And the only point I would make is that obviously there's another side to that, of the. uh, transformation of New Zealand from where it was in 1840 to become one of the most prosperous countries in, in a very short space of time. And that's an amazing story as well. And we probably don't hear of much, as much about that. And so in my professional career, I suppose, coming before coming into politics, I was trying to rectify that to some degree by you know, writing about um, our entrepreneurial histories and our business histories and uh, uh, those sorts of people.
2: You've written biographies of figures, including John Banks and Don Brash. And also with those entrepreneurial figures, some at least of those were vanity publishing. They were paid for by the subject or the family or by the National Party. With your historian's hat on, does that have an effect on the reliability of of
0: those books? there's an element of pragmatism required in the writing and in the general creative industries in the sense that uh, most people are paid in some way by the state either as university lecturers or through uh, creative New Zealand grants or something like that and they tend to write about the state and uh, in a New Zealand context with a very small market you can't actually make a living writing non-fiction books and living off the proceeds of it you know if you're lucky you might sell 3,000 copies or something that, that doesn't keep your family fed for very long and so uh, you've got to find a a way to make it work so yep I mean if you write a centennial history of Fletcher's for example a great New Zealand company you might call it vanity publishing but uh, you know I think it's about chronicling the story of um, very important institutions in the country
2: just before we leave history uh Which of your books has sold the best?
0: Well, (laughs) the first. uh, uh, On John Banks, I did a biography of John Banks when I was only 25. Obviously a very colourful character. And uh, that sold very well in a remarkable story of of, a guy growing up in a totally dysfunctional family, both his parents in, in jail at various times, fighting his way back as a struggler and, and getting into politics in a, in a way, and a lot of people enjoyed that. Uh, my colleagues take great delight in saying that they picked up a copy in the Ekadahuna second-hand shop for $3 or something like that, and I'm glad to see that they're still circulating.
1: So to what extent did figures like John Banks influence you in your decision to get into politics?
0: Yeah, well, obviously, uh, I, I wasn't a student politician. I wasn't involved in in politics at university or anything like that. I wasn't particularly uh, focused on politics. It was only when I started writing that first book on John Banks that I got engaged in my mid-20s and then spent uh, a bit of time in the Beehive working with Simon Upton and Phil Goff, and uh, that uh, got me interested in, in politics fundamentally. Then I spent a lot of time working with businesses and people associated with the business roundtable and uh, that got me involved in, in, in interested in sort of economics and and the uh, fiscal side I suppose of politics particularly uh, so that you know it had a had a big impact mm.
1: you, you mentioned working for Phil Goff and so you actually worked inside the the Helen Clark government as a as a press I did. secretary for, for him I did. So. so what what did you learn as an insider of that administration
0: Uh, Well, it was interesting. I mean, I I worked closely alongside John Banks and and Simon Upton and uh, Phil Goff. And um, uh, between the three of them, I thought they gave a reasonably well rounded um, education. Banksy was, you know, right in in your face, kind of high octane, popular style in many respects. Uh, Simon Upton was much more sort of thoughtful and uh, cerebral and uh, very focused on detailed policy and science and, and that was interesting. Uh, Phil Goff was a, a bit of a mix of the two. I, I always remember you know, he'd break into a sweat after two days if he hadn't been on the TV news and you'd find some new angle. He'd be up at two o'clock in the morning rewriting letters and so uh, you know he was very high energy as well and they all had their different strengths. You know, I I think one of the good things about uh, the New Zealand political scene is that I think most people uh, recognise across the board uh, people involved in New Zealand politics, are very well-meaning people wanting to do their best for the country. We often disagree vehemently about the prescription that they're putting forward, but they're good people. And and having a little bit of time working for Labour, I realised that they didn't actually have horns coming out of their heads and and hopefully uh, they thought the same of me.
1: Mm. Do you model yourself on anyone of those three or or your
0: own man? No, no, we're all all unique in our own uh, way.
1: (laughs) So the first time you stood in in 2005, you ran in a strong Labour seat and and, and it didn't go well. And I read an interview where you said you asked a senior party official for advice and he told you to give up and that you'd never make it. And and you've used that as a sort of source of motivation for yourself.
0: Yeah, well, uh, um, I remember Doug Myers, who I wrote a book on. He always made the point that uh, you've got to find a a motivating driver and force revenge is one of them, or proving people that underestimated you wrong is one of them. Uh, It's just one of those things. uh, I've never had too much difficulty in in motivating myself in politics, but uh, you remember these things, and it just gives you a little edge in in the morning when you wake up and you've had a bad week and uh, you've got to fire yourself up again. My general way of getting myself worked up for the morning is to listen to Morning Report on Radio New Zealand and that's my cup of coffee for the morning. It gets me angry. I thought you were a fucking listener but there you go. Uh, and away I go. So have you had a chance to uh, say told you so to that person? Uh, no, yeah, I have bumped into him and I've made a little bit of progress and uh, he recognises that.
1: <laughs> I also read that you, you well, particularly maybe disturbing that you had that conversation at, at a urinal. Is that a good place to seek political advice, do you think?
0: Well, uh, I think some of the best conversations I had in, in those circumstances, yes, uh, yeah, that's just the way it was. I think it was Waipuna Lodge.
2: <laughs> right. In 2017, you went from being in Cabinet to being in Opposition. Was it frustrating to as well as losing power, losing the staff, the nicer officers and the government machinery that you
0: had. Yeah, I mean, it's a fairly, it's really, nobody enjoys that process. I've had three terms in Parliament now. I had one term as a government backbencher, one term as a minister and then uh, one term in opposition and i certainly know which one i preferred uh, that was the one as minister i mean you know, people come into politics in new zealand with an object to become a minister in a government that makes a contribution to the country and you know improves things and so that's the whole purpose of it all so uh, uh, to finally you know to get there and have a sense of it and a taste of it and then uh, get started i had a uh, just under a year with some significant portfolios, tertiary education and science and innovation, really done a lot of thinking, had a good idea of what I wanted to do and and then didn't get a chance to do it. So that's not much fun. I don't want to have to go through that again if I can avoid it.
2: We're we're edging ever closer to talking about fiscal holes. But before we get there, I, I saw someone recently describe opposition spending plans or alternative budgets, whatever you call them, as being like fan fiction, by which I guess they meant that it's sort of like the real budget, but you know, done on the cheap with fewer resources without all that government machinery behind you. Are oppositions at an unfair disadvantage in some ways when they're attempting to crunch the numbers without all those resources at their disposal?
0: Look, you have to work with uh, what you've got. And uh, what you're trying to do is indicate that you have uh, a basic plan uh, that gets New Zealand back on track. And what we were doing with our plan is balancing your way through three things. One, wanting to deliver short-term stimulus. Second, demonstrating that we can can continue to invest in public services, health and education. Uh, There's no suggestion of austerity or chopping and cutting in any significant way. But then also being able to demonstrate over 10, 15 years, we can start to make progress on the overall scale of the debt that we face as a country. And uh, that's the importance. You can can drill down into the nth degree of detail about uh, how much... uh, a particular item is going to be involved in a nine or ten years, and nobody has any idea. There's a huge uncertainty. Uh, so all you're doing is trying to give an indication.
1: Okay, so we need to talk about those those fiscal holes, and there are essentially three issues. The first two accounting for 4.3 billion, the second 88 million. As I understand, came about because you you in your plan you use figures published at the time of the budget rather than the pre foo figures. Yeah. With those particular figures, how on earth did that happen? I mean, wouldn't you and others have gone over everything line by line, maybe take a few more days? Uh, How did it happen?
0: Well, we're trying to operate at speed, uh, and a mistake was made, and our, our internal group didn't see the difference. It wasn't announced uh, that the government was mm. reducing its contribution to superannuation fund. We didn't expect they would, but they did, and so we missed it, and our external reviewers missed it, and uh, the $88 million was another example of a very small change to the capital allowances that we missed. And so that's that. I mean, you can keep on going on about it. I mean, mm. some people have been trying to talk about it for about a week now, but um, the point that we make is that Grant Robertson's so excited about it because he doesn't want to talk about the substance of the plan, and that's what we want to move on.
1: Okay. Well, mentioning Grant Robertson, I mean, he was running around with the press release on the day of the, the launch, talking about this whole waving it above his head. That must have just been gutting.
0: Uh, yes, it was. Uh, I didn't didn't enjoy that, and uh, only because it distracted from what we were, the, the message we were trying to give, and obviously you don't want to give your oppositions an opportunity to give you a whack, mm. and we did, and uh, so that was that.
1: Mm. And, and did you realise immediately that there was a mistake? I mean, I guess it, initially you'd be defensive.
0: It took a little while to work out what was yeah. going on, as you can imagine. Sure. Uh, when you were all running around, we were in taxis going somewhere and uh, somebody's a- a- making the statement and that's just how uh, politics works. It's always a bit uh, rushed and uh, that's just the nature of the job. Yeah.
1: Did you get a please explain from Judith Collins in short order?
0: Uh, she was uh, very focused on our launch and very good about these things. You know, look, mistakes happen. I mean, we're only three days before the actual pre fu document, the pre-election fiscal update produced by Treasury with 500 people was riddled with mistakes. They printed the wrong version. Mm. Uh, and they had a document which had a you know, number that was out by 5.9 billion. So uh, these things happen. All you can do is uh, stand in front of the crowd and say, yep, uh, made a mistake there. Uh, I own it. Uh, and we move on.
1: Mm. On the third issue, as it were, which concerns the, the funding of transport projects, and Thomas Coglin, our staff colleague, says it boils down to the fact that you're planning on spending money from a fund that doesn't exist, the New Zealand Upgrade Fund, and, and secondly, that you're double counting. I understand that you don't quite accept that. No. But isn't the old adage explaining as losing pertinent here?
0: Yeah, 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 well, I mean, what we've seen for the rest of the week is uh, Grant Robertson sort of pushing little stories out uh, every day, trying to muddy the waters and keep talking about it. And he's been quite successful at doing that. But that's just politics. What he's doing is uh, trying to leap on the back of you know a, a, a genuine mistake and then just keep on piling it on, even though it doesn't really stack up, because he doesn't want to talk about the substance of the plan. Mm. And the big difference between the two of us is that we've got a short-term tax stimulus and a real focus on creating jobs through private sector investment, accelerated depreciation, a whole bunch of things that will make a real difference. Their plan is to put up taxes during a recession and make it more expensive for particularly small businesses to hire new people at a time when we're losing jobs. And that was the point I was trying to make during the debates that we've had subsequently, and we've got a few more to come. And eventually, uh, he'll have to start addressing some of those issues. And eventually, of course, he'll have to release his plan because we're, uh, I think, about three days before voting actually starts, And we still haven't seen the Labour Party's fiscal plan. So I'm I'm curious and I'm waiting uh, to hear what people have to say about that and why people aren't jumping up and down and asking how, for example, are they going to fund the light rail project that Phil Twyford still thinks miraculously is the number one priority for Auckland Transport.
2: Just a, a little bit more on your policy rather than theirs and on tax specifically. So as even as late as September the 10th, you were saying that National would hold taxes where they were, but you'd adjust thresholds for inflation. You know, it's not a tax cut like National would usually be looking for because we do recognize there are fiscal challenges, was the was the line. So just eight days after that, National did announce tax cuts. So, you know, w- what changed in just a week?
0: Well, it was coming on slow, and these major announcements in election years uh, are things that you make at it- The time you want to make them rather than uh, the time that people ask you the question necessarily. But the second point is that the real difference uh, arose with that updated set of figures put out by government that confirmed the situation that the recession we're facing is longer and deeper. And we we saw the scale of the economy shrinking uh, by 12%. And the second quarter, uh, we saw that the other big change was that, you know, with the second lockdown, not only the direct effect that that had on the economy and further job losses, but the real impact that that had on business confidence. Because, you know, everybody had come through the first lockdown, had gone back to level one, and everybody thought, okay, this is fine, New Zealand's the, you know, the best of the world, and there's nothing to worry about here. And then suddenly that second lockdown really shook people's confidence and sentiment. So the combination of those things drew us to the conclusion, actually, we need to do a bit more uh, to stimulate the economy. We actually need to give it a real jolt. And the way we thought the best way to do that is tax relief from the 1st of December.
1: So that was in those couple of days between the release of the pre-food?
2: No, 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 no,
0: no, no. no. It was building up over the, you know, two or three weeks beforehand. Right.
2: On those tax cuts. So they are one of the differentiations between National Labour because, frankly, as elections go, the distance between what different parties are suggesting is perhaps smaller than it has been in other years. So that, that difference in tax cuts, are they having the impact you'd hoped for?
0: Yes I think we are starting to see uh, movement and uh, we've got another two and a half weeks to go I think I think what you're seeing is that um, you know New Zealanders as, as a whole have not been particularly focused on politics for the last little while I mean all, all of us are because we're obviously naturally very interested in it but you know I think most people are just you know have been in survival mode getting through what's been a very difficult year dealing with their kids not being at school in Auckland and all the troubles and strife that's created and you know if they're in business, trying to stay, um, keeping their head above the water. And so they haven't really been thinking about politics to a great degree. Now they are, and now they can see a very clear distinction between us on tax and them. You know, Don't forget that uh, Labor want to put them up, but more than that, uh, the Greens think that tax is love, uh, and they want even more of it, uh, and they want wealth taxes. And you know, we heard last week that there was a bottom line and then it wasn't a bottom line. And, and so there's a great deal of uncertainty there versus our clear view, that we want to reduce those taxes in the short term to provide stimulus. And then, but just as importantly, give faster depreciation to businesses to encourage business investment, which is the real driver of, of job creation. Uh, and we need those businesses investing and growing. Mm. That's what we're going to do. Okay. So I think there's quite a, there's actually a very clear distinction there uh, that we'll be talking about.
1: You mentioned COVID, and and it is you know so noisy, so loud. It's the it's the beast that we're all surrounded by. So, how difficult is it to get heard when you're out on the hustings?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 been been tricky. Uh, there's no question, particularly here in Auckland where uh, I'm based. You, there's big chunk of what you normally do during election campaign you can't do. Mm. Uh, I remember a couple of weeks uh, thinking I might head up to the Parnell market and talk to a few people and I arrived and everybody had face masks on and so I you know, obviously put my face mask on and that, that sort of kind of slightly defeated the purpose. <laughs> I was running around with a face mask on uh, and you can't go door knock. We haven't been door knocking uh, in great degree and you can't have big public meetings. Uh, so uh, it makes it tricky. Our team has spent a lot of time on the phones, which is, you know, Proven to be a you know something you can do, obviously. So it, yeah, it has made it trickier. It's just been a huge point of focus and attention, quite rightly for people, but it just made it harder for us to get our messages across. Mm. No point and, complaining about it though. It's uh, well, it's I was what just what it going it
1: to say, has it has it been fair?
0: Well it is what it is uh, uh, you know it's, it's it's like a farmer complaining about the weather you just have to deal with what you've got right. uh, and um, so you know we, we'll make the most of the opportunity that we have
1: mm. It's also fair to say that national had a, a fairly turbulent time this year particularly with its its leaders you know Simon bridges Todd Muller, Judith Collins and then some sort of extreme turbulence around various controversies how despairing was it as a member of the national caucus sort of Going through that
0: Well look I think uh, um, you recognize that uh, it's you know like so many people have experienced in their own environment and in their families and in the schools and businesses uh, it's been a year of intense pressure. Uh, and that um, leads to um, you know, reactions and, and strain on, on leadership uh, and on, on relationships. And uh, the party's been no different. And it's just how you respond to it and how you pull yourself back together. And I think uh, Judith Collins has done a very good job at grasping the reins at a critical time and, and showing clear, decisive leadership at a time when it's been needed. And so um, she's done very well. But yeah, look, it's been an extremely challenging year.
1: The ultimate poll is still to come, but would you have hoped for a a better... Response in terms of the polls that we have seen so far?
0: Well, of course, we always want higher polls. And, you know, we, we still think we can make a difference over the next couple of days. When you add National and ACT together, you know, we're over 40%. And um, there, there is a ground to cover, but it can be covered if people really tune in over the next couple of weeks. And we have very clear and concise messages. And uh, Judith continues to do well in the debates. And uh, we can start talking about the things that really matter to Kiwis. And that's, you know, that's what we're going to be trying to do.
1: Okay. You, you were drawn into a bit of a, not really a scandal, but certainly a shimozzle when, when you were singled out as, as a Māori member of the front bench. In the video you where you're being asked about it, there's a look in your eyes of, of, of just bafflement. What was going through your mind?
0: Actually, um, well, it, was just, it was a genuine uh, misunderstanding. I, I have um, on on numerous occasions talked about my links with Nati Poro uh, through my great-great-grandfather and the fact that I'm related to many people, uh, um, uh, including you know, former uh, colleagues Hekia Parata. anybody basically from the East Coast I seem to have a connection with and, and are related to. And so that basic story and basic fact uh, got slightly uh, mangled in the process, that was all. So. So it right. Didn't take too long to straighten out.
1: Well look, speaking of Farno, you have four children and uh, four. But you're still short of one of your predecessors, Bill English is telling you six. Still time to catch up?
0: Uh, no, no, I've done my dash. <laughs>
1: okay. And then and then look just finally Away from the from the debate and the, and the uh, cut and thrust, do you get on with Grant Robertson? Uh, away from the cameras, do you ever beer
0: together? Uh, wouldn't say we're bosom buddies. Um, we did play a game of Monopoly uh, last Friday night, actually, um, for a charity thing. Fuck oh, yeah, he's uh, So, saw,
1: saw photos of that.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Who won? Uh, well, funnily enough, we uh, he ran out of time. Uh, before the conclusion of the game I, I had uh, a number of houses On the old uh, Mayfair and Park Lane Sites and was very well positioned But uh, uh, anything could have happened Look, you know, I, mean, I think one of the things Of New Zealand Parliament is that uh, notwithstanding all the you know, very robust debates we have, we do manage to generally maintain you know, reasonable personal relationships, and we uh, uh, play hard on the field, as it were, um, but get along all right off the field. And yeah, that's 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 a good thing about New Zealand politics.
1: Mm. Paul Goldsmith, thank you very much for joining us.
0: Thank you.
2: That was the Tick Tick podcast. Mātārāpare te tuatahi o firenga a I'm Adam Dudding, here's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Andrea Farns, Paul Goldsmith, Jack Price, Catherine
1: George, Patrick Roots, and John Harderfeld and Carol Hirschfeld. You can find us on all the podcast platforms and if you want to get in touch with us, you can email tick-tic at stuff.co.nz. If you want to support Stuff's journalism financially, go to the link on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz. We'll be back on Rahoroi. Mā